0: Father God, again, we uh we come before you uh with with hearts of thanksgiving, God, for all the many ways that you have cared for your people and watched out for us, God. Uh we continue to pray um for, for our church, for our community, for our nation in terms of of COVID-related issues. God, we are thankful that uh the, the vaccine is 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 here and is is being administered, um, especially to those who are at the highest risk. God we continue to ask for your uh supernatural mercy in these things that you would that you would keep um your people healthy, uh, that you would show mercy on this community uh and that uh we would continue to move towards um a, a level of of pre-covid um normalcy. Father, we thank you for uh the blessings of of being able to come here. Um, to of, of being able to join together to to sit in each other's present presence to uh, again to speak and share and and god to listen together to sing together uh, we thank you for the blessings of fellowship father we thank you for the freedoms uh, of a of a nation that allows us to do that and we ask for your mercy in those things too god that you would continue um, to let uh those uh values those truths um remain um something that our country is is committed to um so that that we your people could uh worship freely um uh, without the threat of of reprisal father we know that that all of these things are a mercy um yeah, that we are not promised um these things and yet we ask them as children um coming before their father um seeking after after these these things that are good and these mercies, um, we trust in you, Father, to provide. We ask these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. amen. all right, so we're continuing on in our study of the gospel of luke and and you may have noticed something in the last few weeks uh, that we have been uh, in Luke chapter nine, so after Peter's confession of Jesus as the Messiah back in verse 20, many of the texts that we have been looking at have been focused on a common theme. And that common theme is the nature of discipleship, right? Uh, what does it mean? What does it look like to follow Jesus? What is required of us? What is the cost to us of following Jesus? And so maybe the the the, the passage that that drives that home the most that we've looked at so far is, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me, right? And so that was that that passage that sort of really drove those ideas home, and yet we've seen it elaborated on in various places. We continue that discussion tonight in verse 57 through 62. And and one of the things that draws our attention to the fact that we are continuing to talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus is the very presence of the word follow in this text, okay, you might have noticed that there are these three would-be disciples, um, who are either invited by Jesus or who come seeking to follow Jesus. And in each one, literally, the word follow is said. Either Jesus makes a comment about following or the, the person makes a comment about following, but it, the word follow pops up in verses 57, 59, and 61. And so Jesus is obviously still talking about the, what it means to be a follower of his. And he does something in this passage that I think we are often afraid to do when we are sharing Christ with somebody else. And that is Jesus lays out the cost ahead of time. All right. And so I think probably many of us, um, when we, when we do have an opportunity to share uh, Christ with somebody, we are more focused on the good stuff right um, and we are more focused on on uh, uh the the easy's not the right word right but but the um, those those beneficial aspects that come with following christ and and rarely do we also include and say but by the way if you're going to follow jesus there are going to be these other things that come along with it too we we oftentimes don't do that but jesus does jesus says if you want to be my follower there will be uh, something required of you Okay, there will be consequences maybe is a better way of saying it. And so the first statement, this first encounter that Jesus has is pretty stark, right, what he says. So it says, verse 57, again, as they were going on the road, someone said to him. So somebody comes up, he's heard about Jesus, he's he's heard that Jesus has been doing these miracles and teaching these things and drawing this following. And this man walks up and says, I will follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So this would-be disciple is pledging allegiance to Jesus. And he says, I think, what a lot of new believers, people who have just come to a realization of who Jesus is and and what he's about, he says the same kind of things that, that probably many of us said. When we finally understand who Jesus is and receive the gospel, what do we say? We say, man, I'll, I'll do anything for Jesus. I'm ready to go to the end of the world for Jesus. I will follow Jesus anywhere. And the truth is, is, is that sentiment is real in our lives. It's probably a little naive, right? Because at that point, oftentimes we haven't thought about what following Christ could actually cost us. Um, but we do sort of say it in this, in the, that energy of, 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 uh, believing the gospel and, and recognizing who Jesus is, we say, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. But Jesus' reply is heavy, right? And, and I think there's kind of two sides to the way we can when think about that heaviness. On the one side, we can talk about it in in just the way that we experience the Christian life. And then on the other side, we can talk about it in terms of the ultimate reality, of, of Of what the Christian life is like, so let me, let me explain what I mean by that so the, the the Christian life right makes no promises in terms of convenience and comfort. Jesus says, even animals have a place to rest right even animals have this basic level of comfort this place this place to sleep, a place of of rest and and some kind of security, but as followers of Jesus you may not have that. Jesus says, I don't have that. That can be a bit confusing, I think, especially when you look back at the things we've talked about over the last couple of weeks as we've talked about the provision of God, about how God's going to take care of us and all these different things like that, right? And so you might listen to those passages in chapter nine and then read this one and say, those don't seem to line up. Like, what does that mean? God's going to take care of me and he's going to provide. And yet here he's saying, I'm going to have no place to lay my head. Well, the, the, the reason is, is because those things aren't necessarily contradictory, okay? Um, oftentimes, Jesus gives us not only what is necessary, but what is good and what is sweet, right? We experience that all the time, and we can just look to Jesus and say, thank you for these blessings that I have in my life. But we recognize that oftentimes, that's not the way it goes. Provision and comfort aren't necessarily the same. And we don't get to make demands up front about the Christian life. So do you remember back, when was it? I guess it was last, this time last year or before that, when we were talking about Jacob in the Old Testament. And we talked about the fact that one of the things that, that Jacob would do is for the whole first section of him encountering God, he would always make these deals, right? God, if you'll bless me, if you will make me great, if you'll give me this, this inheritance, then, then you'll be my God and I'll be your man, right? And he would make these kind of statements like that. And we, and we talked about the fact that God humored him, right? Because God had already chosen Jacob, but that's not the way we go to God. That's not the way we encounter him. Um, I've got a friend that works with me at UPS and he's a guy that's in the military and he was, I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago because he has basically changed his his career path in the military. He was going to go into a certain field, and he has decided not to do that, or he had decided a few months back not to do that. And he, we were talking the other day, and he made the comment, he said, as it turns out, all the guys who chose that career path this time around, they all got stationed in their first stationing in Hawaii. And so he was kind of like, I'm kind of wishing that I had done that now. Okay, like there's a piece of me that wishes that I had gone along with it because it turns out all these guys got stationed in Hawaii, and that seemed like a really cool thing. But here was the problem. They could have just as easily got stationed in Afghanistan. And he didn't get to pick beforehand. He didn't get to go in and say, well, I'll I'll do this job, U.S. military, as long as I'm one of the guys that gets to go to Hawaii and not one of the guys that has to go to Afghanistan. Now, in both cases, the military provided, Right. For those guys that end up in Afghanistan and the guys that end up in Hawaii, the military is going to provide for them and take care of them um, and give them the things that they need. But there were no promises or conditions up front as to where you would end up when you enlisted. Jesus is reminding us, reminding this would-be follower, man, you might get to go to Hawaii in your Christian life, or you may end up in Afghanistan. And there's not really any way that you can know for sure which one is the fact. But here's the deal. Even if you get to go to Hawaii, you should probably be ready for Afghanistan, at least, right? Maybe even expect Afghanistan. And if you get Hawaii, then then praise be to God, right? But I think here's, so there's that one side of it. When Jesus said, there's no place to lay my head. Um, and if you're going to follow me, there's not going to be a place for you to lay your head either. That's, that's part of what he's getting at. But I think there's maybe even another level, not just about the way we experience the Christian life, but about the ultimate reality of the Christian life. And that's when Jesus says those words, he's saying, I don't have a place to lay my head here because this place isn't my home. This world isn't my home. And if you're going to follow me, then this place is not going to be your home either anymore. It's not going to be the place that you lay your head anymore. From the moment we trust in Christ, and we talk about this all the time, we become pilgrims, right? We are strangers in this world, regardless of how connected we were to it before. We are strangers now to this world. We are sojourners, okay? We are wandering people, people on a journey. And those people that are on a journey, they don't look to the trappings of this world. They recognize that this isn't my home. I'm passing through this place. And all of a sudden, all those things that define cultures shift backwards a little bit, right? Land, possession, family, tradition, heritage. Some of those things, they still play a function, Right? Okay? And we're not saying that those things become completely unimportant and we ignore them and they don't make any difference anymore. But they all take a back seat all of a sudden. In terms of being ultimates, in terms of being absolutes, they cease to be those things. And so I was thinking about, you know, again, kind of just the political context that we're in. Think about those those Marxist, socialist kind of concepts of blood and soil, uh, that 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 you hear talked about in in you know the 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 Russian uh, the Soviet Union and things like that, right? Um, that's saying you know what's ultimate is this place and this ethnicity, these people. That's what's ultimate. That's what we have to to count on and focus on and and whatever. But guess what? It happens on the other side too, because you see that in more traditional cultures, right? You see this idea of ancestry and tradition that are that are the same there. And again. Those things aren't necessarily bad. We're not saying that they are are uh, intrinsically evil or something, but we're just saying that our home, our rest, our peace, our inheritance, our future, our legacy is somewhere else now. It's not here. Um, it's in heaven. More precisely, it's in the new heaven in the new earth. More completely, it's in Jesus himself, right? Jesus is the place that we rest our head now. And so what happens is being a disciple radically shifts those things, right? It changes our focus, or it should. It changes our expectations. And we're different people because we are following Jesus. Okay? So that's the first thing that Jesus sort of points us to, this this idea that we've got there on the the front of the bulletin, radical discipleship. And I know that sounds a little cliché. Okay, that because because radical is a word that has gotten thrown around a lot in the church and continues to and and things like that. Um, But the worldview shift that happens when Jesus comes truly is radical. And if we don't perceive it as radical, it's because we are so enmeshed in the generalities of it that we don't even recognize how different the world is because of who Jesus is. And so, so that, that, that first principle is there in that first encounter. But then the, the next idea that we see is, is, I think, summarized. If the first one was summarized by the idea of follow, and really they're all, all three encounters are about following. But the second two are focused around another word that we notice that pops out in the text. Said two times, and that is the word first. We see the word first pop up twice in these last, in the second and third encounters. These would-be disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, I want to follow you, but first let me go do this other thing. Okay? And so the first encounter, this man, it actually what happens is Jesus says to this man this time, the other time somebody apparently came up to Jesus randomly and asked to follow him, this time Jesus invites somebody to follow him. And he says, verse 59, he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Seems pretty reasonable, right? But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. So when, when you look at this passage, there's two possibilities about what is going on here, what the situation of this man actually is. The first one is that his father is actually has died. The father has already died, and this this man is basically saying, "My father has just died. I, I have to be responsible for his funeral and administrating these things, or whatever. So just let me go back and 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 do those things, and then I'll come follow you." Okay. And that was an important thing in in ancient culture. I mean, it's an important thing in our culture, but it's certainly an important thing in that culture. The the burial of parents and family members was significant a significant responsibility in Jewish society. Uh, We see that especially when you start looking into the extra-biblical texts. We see it in the Old Testament, but you see it especially in some other extra-biblical texts um, about the the, the way the Jews thought about death and the responsibility there to family members. Okay, So that may be the case. The father has already died. What is probably more likely, though, is that the father is not dead, but he is ailing okay, he's getting on in years, maybe even is sickly or something, maybe they think death is near, might be a few months, might be a few years, okay, and if that's the case, then then the concern that this man has is sort of twofold. On one side, he's concerned because he has a responsibility to care for his parents, right, Again, we have all kinds of services in in our modern culture that, that, that share some of that burden oftentimes. But in the ancient world, you didn't have any of that, right? As parents got aged, as they got weak, as they couldn't provide for themselves, it was incumbent upon their children to take them into the family and care for them and provide for them. The elderly and the invalid person counted on their children because there wasn't anybody else in society to help them, okay? And so that's part of this man's concern. And then there's another piece that's probably there, just the importance of obeying your family, obeying your parents. One thing that we forget in our sort of modern individualistic culture is how important obeying your parents and living according to their wishes was in the ancient world. Parents expected their children to do what they wanted them to do. And not just when they were little and in their household, but when they grew up, you were supposed to go into the profession that your parents wanted you to. You were supposed to marry the person that your parents wanted to. Like you didn't have this individualistic kind of idea about, well, I'm just going to go live my life and, and do whatever I wanted to. And so that probably plays a factor in this passage too. You see that reality all through history. You see it through church history. Uh, you know, we've recently talked about Martin Luther. And the beginning of Martin Luther's story is that he is about, he's going to be a lawyer. His dad is, has scraped and saved to put him through law school. He's in his last semester at law school. And his dad's like, oh, we finally got this kid through school. And then the whole incident happens where he's on the road and he almost gets hit by lightning. And he says, if you'll let me live through this day, God, I swear to be a monk. Right? And so he quits law school. Or actually, I think he finished, but then he doesn't go into law. And guess what? His dad was furious at it. And there was a, a breach in their relationship because of that for years. Because the son had basically said, Dad, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm not going to live my life that way. I'm going to go do this other thing. I'm going to go become an Augustinian monk. It's only after parents were dead, oftentimes, that people were finally kind of freed up to do something different if, if they so decided. And so this man may be saying, look, I want to follow you. Jesus, but, but my family has expectations for me, right? There are things that I have to do and I have to, to be here for. And so wait until they're dead and then I'll be free of their demands and I'll come and follow you. Okay. So, so again, we can't be sure of the context, right? Is it an actually dead father or, or a father who may in the near future die, but regardless of the context, Jesus response is harsh, right? It's stern. Um, it's it's certainly uncompromising. You could say it's radical. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. All right, again, that's that's a crazy thing to say to somebody. But we know what Jesus means by it almost immediately, right? You have higher loyalties now. Higher expectations are on you a greater father who has a call on your life. Let the people, the dead, who have not made the same commitments that you have, who have not relinquished their life, who have not given their life to the importance of the things that you have done now, let those people deal with their own issues. Instead, what do you need to do? You need to come and it says... I lost it on the passage. You need to come and, and go and, and, and preach the kingdom of God, right? You need to go and tell people about who Jesus is and and um, how people can know him and have a relationship with you. Go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. As we come into the Christian faith, we have a new set of expectations that are now paramount. You have a new life to live up to a new father to be obedient to and a new mission to accomplish. And that supersedes those other things. In the third encounter that Jesus has, the principles is, is similar, but with a unique focus. And one of the things that we notice in this passage is we can get a little more insight into what the issue actually is, not by the excuse that the people give, but by the response to them that Jesus gives, okay? So we notice that, that Jesus' responses clarify what's really going on in the situation, okay? And so in in verse 61, another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at my home. But Jesus said to him, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so again, Pretty simple request seems pretty reasonable um, on the surface. I just Jesus, I need to go home and say goodbye. I need to go home and tie up a few loose ends. Um, seems like such a little request, but Jesus clarifies probably what's really going on at this heart. What's really going on is this idea of sort of having your feet in both worlds. So when you're plowing a field, Jesus gives this illustration, when you're plowing a field, um, and you're like, Ash, how would you know? <laughs> right? I've never plowed a field, but but I've mowed a yard and it's the same thing, basically, okay? Right? If you want to, if you want to plow a field, you know what you do? You set your sight on a point on the horizon at the edge of the field. And then what you have to do is you have to walk forward. And keep your eye on that spot because you know what happens if you're looking at the ground or you keep on looking behind you, that mule or whatever starts to veer a little bit, and then all of a sudden you look up and your and your field rows are you know taking these big turns and you've messed up your field and 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 it's it's uh, uh, the yield is all messed up and things like that, right? And so he gives this illustration. He says the person who is a follower of me, the person who has come and 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 entered into to relationship with me again, has to keep his eyes set on me. And there's no time to look back. There's no time to look down. You have to keep your eyes focused on following Jesus and not worry about those other things. And notice the language that he uses. He says that the person is not fit for the kingdom. Now, here's something important, and, and this is important as we read this. He's not saying fit as in worthiness because the reality is, is that none of us are worthy for the kingdom, right? When he talks about our fitness for the kingdom, he's talking about our usefulness for the kingdom. So he's saying, if you are going to follow Jesus, but your whole life, you're always going to keep your feet in 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 two different places. If your whole life, you're always going to be saying, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I'm going to look back here too. I want to follow you, Jesus, but I've got to look off to these things too. If If we can't keep our eyes on Christ, in our following him, then, then it's not, we don't become unworthy, because we already were, but we become useless. We become unusable in the kingdom. Because Jesus can't, there's no way that Jesus can be second in those situations. So where the last disciple was kind of maybe talking about, you could say, the priority of Jesus in terms of our responsibilities, this man is dealing with the issue of the priority of Jesus in terms of our commitment. Now again, at at first glance, it may seem like Jesus is asking too much of these people, right? We might even look at these passages if we just read them by themselves and kind of say, I feel like these, what Jesus is asking is even contradictory to other scriptures in some way, right? So think about it. The Bible calls us to honor our father and mother. The Bible calls us to provide for our families. Man, how can I do that if I'm not even permitted to bury my father, right? To give him a proper burial. The Bible tells us to love our neighbors. And this man says, I just want to go home and say goodbye to the people who are in my community, the people who are at my home. How can we love our neighbor if we're not even permitted to say goodbye to them? Well, here's the deal. Jesus isn't saying that exactly. The key is that word that we mentioned first. Okay. Both these men say first, let me do this other thing, Jesus. First, let me go and deal with these other issues. All these things that these men want to do are good, right? Obedience to parents is good. Concern for family and neighbors is good. Those are good things. And in following Jesus, you will be given tons of opportunities to love your neighbor and obey your parents, The problem is, is that we have to recognize where Jesus fits in the economy. We cannot let what is good push out what is best. We cannot let what is necessary push out what is primary. And the thing is, is that what Jesus is saying, what is best, what is primary, what should be first is me. Is Jesus. Jesus and his mission have to be the first things in our minds and hearts. And there's no room for anything else to be preeminent. Discipleship, being a follower of Jesus means Jesus is first in everything. Okay, so. Let me close with this, okay? And and this is something, this is what, as I read this passage, um, the the thing that struck me most as, as I thought about it was this. What's interesting to me is the way my heart responds to this passage when I read it, right? Like, I was, as I was talking through it and reading and commentaries and studying and stuff like that, I was like, okay, what is going on in this passage? And we're asking all these questions. But what 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 I noticed was how my heart kept on responding to the passage. So on one side, um, I'm just like that first disciple, right? On one side, I'm like, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus, if you tell me to do something, I'd go. I would do it. Um, whatever you told me to do, I would follow. That seems obvious in some ways, right? Isn't that what being a follower of Jesus is? At some level, we have to all have believed that. if we've we've committed our lives to Jesus Christ. But then Jesus makes these responses to each of these men, right? No place to lay your head. Let the dead bury the dead. No one who turns back is fit for the kingdom of God. And what I noticed is in my own heart, there was, maybe it's a strong term, but a revulsion Against those sayings, or at least a pushback against those sayings. Certainly it can't be that hard, Jesus. And so what I wanted to do is even in the preaching of the message, right? Like I kept on thinking, well, I've got to, I've got to water that down a little bit, right? Like I've got to dial that back because Jesus can't mean like, let the dead bury their dead. That, that's just a little too much. I, I've, gotta, I've gotta soften that blow. I've gotta pull that punch in some way. Because if I don't, man, the implications of this passage seem a little uncomfortable. I want to follow you, Jesus, as, as long as it doesn't interfere with certain goals and certain desires that I've already set in my life. I want to follow you, Jesus. But but you've got to recognize that I got other priorities in life. Like there are other things that are important and good things that you've even told me that I'm supposed to do and and be about. Um, And and I and I and I can't. I've got to I've got to take those things into consideration too, Jesus. I'll follow you anywhere, but I've got to diversify, Jesus. Right? Like I can't put all my eggs in this basket. And so there's an uncomfortableness to the absoluteness of the passage. And what I would suggest to you is they're supposed to be right. You were supposed to read that passage and go, I'm not sure that I'm completely comfortable with this, Jesus. And Jesus says, yep, that's what I'm calling you to. That's what I'm saying. This is about. That's what I'm saying. It looks like to be one of my disciples. Stop Looking back, from now on, your home, your responsibility, your mission is that way towards Jesus, not right here, not back there. It's in front of you now, and Jesus is the one walking ahead of you, and so you have to radically fix your eyes, your attention, your focus, your commitment on Jesus, He is first, and we follow behind him. Amen? That's what he calls us to in this passage. And again, we're supposed to be unnerved by it a little bit. We're supposed to look at it and think, I think, two things. We're supposed to look at it and go, am I really a believer? Am I really a follower of Jesus? Because I'm not sure that these three things would would characterize my life sometimes. And then if that's the case, if if I, I read the scriptures and I go, no, but I am. I have trusted Jesus. And so then I think the other thing is to say, well, then it is a challenge to us, right? Um, it, it's not something to make us doubt, but it is something to spur us forward. It is something to say, maybe your eyes have fallen off. Maybe you are looking back. Maybe you are keeping one foot in this world and one foot in the next. Maybe you are expecting Jesus to do all these things to keep your standard of living where it's at. But he is calling you to something different. I don't know what God's doing in your own heart, in your own life, but I think the case is, is that we are supposed to be unnerved by this passage. Um, and, it's supposed to be made uncomfortable by its starkness. So what I want to do is let's just go to the Lord in prayer and, and you, uh, do business with the Lord wherever you're at in your own heart. You might have read that passage and you might have heard me say those things ago. go, Asha, that's not the way I felt about these things at all. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm following faithfully and, and I'm doing these things and, and, and whatever. And you, you may come to this passage with a different, um, he may be using this passage in your life in a different way. All right. Um, But all we can do is ask God to use his word to conform our lives to the image of Christ, to make us more like Jesus um, and shape us according to Jesus. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to do that. Ask God to show you what it is about this text uh, that uh, he's trying to teach your heart um, and how you're supposed to live your life in light of that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we have uh, committed our lives to following you. God, we have received uh, the gift of your salvation. God, we have received the gift of discipleship. But God, we want to live that discipleship out faithfully. God, just as in this passage, we know that you have called us. You have said, follow me. God, that we have responded and said, we want to follow you. But God, we recognize all the, the, the things left over in, in the old man in our lives. God, the things that are dragging us and pulling us, um, God, trying to make us um, step back, step to the side, to look back, to look down, things keeping us from following you completely, from really placing you first in, in our lives and hearts and actions. Father, show us those places. God, help us to, to put those things away. Um, God, to live as if uh, you are preeminent, that you are first, that God in every aspect of our lives is focused on that reality. We love you. We praise you. Make us more like Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Please stand and sing the closing song. My worth is not in what I am. me in my diary I will trust in him, no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone. Two wonders here that I confess. My worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom In him, no other. My soul is satisfied in him. Alone. I rejoice in my redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in him, no other. My soul is satisfied in him. Alone.
0: Amen. Um, As we close tonight, I wanted to add one more thing that is completely unrelated to what we've already talked about, but it's a, it's kind of a, uh, something that it's odd to wait until a time to talk about it in terms of the normal course of the sermon. And so I just wanted to, to mention it to you. And what I would say is this, is I would encourage you to remember, um, and it's, and it's weird as a pastor to always say this, I would encourage you to remember tithing in this time. Okay, Um as, as we've gone throughout the year, we are very blessed in our situation because we have very low overhead. And so we're not in a situation where we're, we're in, uh, difficulties or anything like that, right? So don't, that's not what I'm, don't hear me say, you know, walk out of here and go, is everything okay? Or are we in trouble or something like that? It's, it's nothing like that at all. But, but here's something that I would just make you aware of. So over the course of the last, obviously with COVID and us not meeting regularly, um Tithing gets abnormal, and people aren't tithing in normal things, and we're not meeting for periods of time and things like that. But an interesting opportunity arose over the last six months of a possible building um, for us, and it was kind of a neat situation. and And it was we were kind of asking questions and praying through things and wondering what might happen. And anyway, it appears to be the case that it is not going to happen; that it has fallen through. Um, it was a connection with another church, and I won't, I won't go into the specifics of it. But the reality was is that. Even if we had ended up doing it, it would have required um, a certain amount of of, of money, right? Um, to to for for whatever. Okay. And so, what I would encourage you to think of is this: is that I think I know because I've talked to people sometimes. Is is that people kind of think, you know, we've got low overhead and we're we're doing it like. That there's, there's no need there, right? Uh, I, don't, I don't need to give because we're okay, and, and so it's not that big a deal. But the reality is is that th- those tithes and offerings are also building up for something in the future, right? Um, and and I, I feel like God's going to have something for us down the road. We will probably not be in Vienna forever, okay? Um, but the reality is, is we're not going to be able to do that when we get to that point without those, without those things in place. Okay. And so, um, I would encourage you to remember, um, tithing. Um, it's something that we recognize God calls us to, right? There is a, there is a, um, biblical joy in tithing. There is a a joy in giving a recognition that God has blessed us with all kinds of things and that we give back into the context of the local church. I assure you, you might again say, yeah, but Ash, we're not doing anything with that money right now. answer is you're right we're we're not doing certain things with that money right now but but i'm of the mindset i think we could argue this biblically that i would way rather enter into some situation where we could pay for something up front than having to get it on debt and 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 hoping for things to come in put ourselves in a situation where we are um in, in trouble in those things right and so just just encourage you to, to remember that i know it's easy because to get out of the habit of tithing to forget about it um especially we're not past the plate every week we've had these gaps where we weren't meeting just encourage you to do that encourage you to remember it um as 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 we seek to 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 not only serve faithfully but be ready for opportunities down the road amen um uh step off the soapbox or whatever, right? Um, and uh, hope you have a great week. Um, uh, enjoy the week, man. It seems like we're actually, I think, going to have the sun this week instead of just rain and gray all the time, which is going to be super encouraging for me, I know. Um, but hope you have a great week. Uh, we'll see you back here um, again next week. Hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.